Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast, Season 2. I'm your forever coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and we are all here weekly to share the ups, downs, and all-arounds of the wild world of parenting. A safe space, a Lego-free space, to vent, to inspire, and well, perhaps this is the only adult conversation you hear all day. What is Adia doing? A, B, C, D. <laughs> is that funny? So each week, I will be joined by a fellow striving, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We learn together. We grow together. Hell, we cheers with an adult bevy when necessary. I get it. I am human and failures simply happen. I am not shiny and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am at its best. Even when the dishes aren't done, there's crayon on the wall, and well, my hair hasn't been washed in forever. I am Busy Mumsy. Happy Wednesday, dear friends. I'm so excited for today's Busy Mumsy guest, as I was lucky enough to share the Broadway stage with her like eons ago. It feels like forever ago, and my body feels that as well. Uh, We were on Broadway in Pippin. Well, today I am welcoming... Olga Karmansky onto the Busy Mumsy podcast. Like I said, Olga, Broadway, I adore her pieces. Well, what I want to share is that she is an expert in contortion. Yes, that's right. She is an American individual rhythmic gymnast. She represents her nation at international competitions. And at the 2001 Pan American Gymnastics Championship, she won the gold medal in the team all around, individual all around and hoop events and bronze medal in the ball and rope events. Wow. As you know, as my busy mumsies know, your body shifts, it changes, it moves like left, right and center when you have a baby, right? I want to know how Olga has managed to have a child and go right back into coaching and doing all the incredible contortion moves that she does. I kid you not. You you have to go to her Instagram account. Um, She has a full platform of coaching. I'm doing virtually as well, which is amazing. I just... I'm going to keep on rambling. I just want to know. I want to know all the things of how she's doing it and how her body has changed and how she has accepted that. So let's dive on into this week's Busy Mumsy Chat. Olga Kermansky, welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. Yay, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I'm more excited just to see your beautiful face because for the listeners, Olga and I shared the Broadway stage together. I love that. Yes, 10, 12, 11, 11 years ago. We just had our 10th anniversary. So 10 long time. years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. It's been such a long time. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. Where has the time gone? Oh, that's right. Children. Children, pandemic, <laughs> moving. Please for you. Well, for the listener, Olga, can you share where you are located? I am in Utica, New York. That is about four hours north of New York City. Central New York State. Wait a minute. You're near, wait, what What university are you? I, there's, there's a Utica University, right? Yep. Utica. So I went to University of Buffalo. So I. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, let me give you a little rundown of this. Yes. I used to take the Greyhound bus. This is how old I am. But I used to take the Greyhound bus from Buffalo University to New York City for auditions. Yes. And Utica, I know that bus stop very well because we stopped at 
every freaking little tiny little city town, whatever on the journey. It took like nine and a half, 10 hours on that bus. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And Utica yeah, has a big bus station and a big train station. Yes. Yeah. I'm actually just tickled to hear that the bus station still exists. I feel like it doesn't anymore. I mean, my gosh, decades ago when I would take that into, um, Penn Station and get ready in the bathroom. And then off I went to Chelsea Studios. I mean, that all of those bathrooms are frightening, but you know, it is what it is. Right. <laughs> well, Olga, let's rewind back babies and Broadway. Let's go beyond before that. As you have been a performer your entire life. And I really, because I actually don't know this. I don't know a lot about the former you prior to Broadway. So I really would love to go back to your rhythmic gymnast days cool. and kind of what catapulted you into that world and the flex, your, your, your flexibility, your facility is insanely phenomenal, gorgeous, all of the things. And when I say facility, some people are like, what? But like as a dancer in terminology, you get that, we get that. Yeah. And it's like, what was like, what was the world like memorable experiences for you, the highlights, the highs, the lows, then to get you to kind of like into performing further, like onto the Broadway stage. Like, can you kind of like give us the lowdown? Yeah. Um, so firstly, being I was born in the Soviet Union and immigrated to the US when I was three um, and all former Soviet people always want if you have a daughter you want her to do like ballet rhythmic gymnastics rhythmic gymnastics really is like the number one thing that all former soviet parents want to put their and you had the best team on the olympics i'm sorry you every time the olympics came around we i i just waited for soviets to come out and crush it in rhythmic yeah 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 so i didn't get to do any there because i was only three but when we immigrated my parents, it's also a habit of Soviet people to put their children in, in lots of activities. So for a while, my brother and I were swimming, doing art class. I did rhythmic gymnastics. We did a lot of stuff. And then slowly for me, it kind of dwindled down because I was just oddly obsessive about, and I wasn't particularly good as a child. I kind of got teased by my coaches of like, oh, look at this cute little round girl <laughs> trying to do this thing. But I just like really loved it. I couldn't explain. I think it was partially the community or like I try to remember why I loved it so much. And I can't explain it except that I just remember being obsessed from really young, from five, six, seven. And I asked my parents for more, 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 more all the time. Was it like a a discovery that you were just completely double jointed or was this like work from you at a very young age? Or was a lot of this just a natural ability that then you just had to like keep working on yeah so the first gym I went to was more like recreational and then when I was eight I met my first serious coach and she's the one that discovered that I had a very flexible back I didn't even like know nobody really knew she like pulled me back she's like oh yeah like I'm sure this happens in dance class because actually my daughter goes to dance class now and the teacher pulled her back. She's like, oh, she has a really flexible back. She has no idea what I used to do because I'm sitting in there. She has no idea. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. It's like the female genetic line in my family. My mother also had a really flexible back, but she never tested me. But anyway, so my coach tested me. She's like, wow, you have a really flexible back. Um, And then she sort of capped. She was was really crazy. (laughs) 
But she was really good at capitalizing on each girl's natural abilities and like working with them and really pushing them in that direction. So she helped me get my back and core stronger so I could like, you know, instead of being floppy in my back flexibility, to be able to crank into positions and control and shape, uh, create shapes. Um, so blah, blah, blah. Uh, I was 14. I was like, okay, now I really want to get serious with this. And I asked my parents to become homeschooled for high school so that I could increase my training hours from four hours a day, five days a week to seven hours a day, six days a week. Uh, it was a little bit of a fight. And then they agreed. <laughs> um, and so that- I have to interject one thing and say this. I think a lot of people that come across performers, they instantly think that they have parents that kind of were like, no, like we're drill sergeants and made us do it. And a lot of the time it's the actual child that literally goes, no, 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 this is what I want to do. This is how we're going to accomplish it. And this is how we're going to move forward. And I love that you did exactly that. And yeah. it's, and, and it's okay that kids do this. And I, I think it's a good sign for parents to go, wait a minute, I'm going to not be, I'm going to use air quotes, stage mom. I'm yeah. just going to let my child figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it gives me chills to think like, I dissociate like myself with that where I'm like, how did I figure that out at a young age that like, this is the thing I want to, and how did I decide to do it for seven hours a day? Like, I, I don't know if, you know, I couldn't handle something like that now. Um, but it's, yeah. And I'm sure you see that with your daughter. Like they know really early on what they want and what they don't want. <laughs> and they tell you and it's, no, they do. listen to them. <laughs> yeah, no, she, we, you know, I, I really want to, um, get her into more dance. Do I want her to be a dancer? Do, do I want her to be on the Broadway stage and, and all of that? If she decides to, I'm literally, I'm, I'm going to just step back and whatever works for her. She could become the next equestrian for all I I, I know. Who who knows what what the you know the future holds for her? And I just I just love that you were also in the position because I too was also in the same position of like I kind of I, I I did most of the dictating and was like no you're going to take me and do this and no I I found an agent and that person's going to help support and no we're going to go do this we're going to do that and people are like are you kidding me I was like no 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 my parents weren't pushovers they were supportive mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And there was a very big difference of like, they weren't in your face and like, she has to be at the front of everything. It was just like, oh no, we're here because Ashley said that she had to be here at 10 a.m. and yeah. he's here for the class. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes it, you see it in probably your other girls in your studio and your class when the parents who are pushing, the, the child resists <laughs> um, or the parents who are just supporting whatever the child is asking for. Um, my parents, in fact, it was, they weren't doing it as a reverse psychology technique, but I think it sort of worked that way. They'd always say, if you ever want to quit, you can quit. Like, we're totally okay with that. But I really didn't want to. But they'd always just, like, throw it out there because it is very expensive. <laughs> so, be like, if you ever want to not do this, we're open to that. <laughs> How was homeschooling for you? Like, what was that experience? And did you still find time to, like, you know make the friendship groups, do all of the things that you kind of did in high school? Or did you just kind of like, no, nope, I'm good. I don't need it. Yeah, I right off the bat, again, it's like you kind of know what you need. I was like, okay, I know I'm going to need friends. I'm not going to have like, 
I graduated from junior high school and all of my friends are going to different high schools. And so you sort of lose touch. So I was like, let me get my gymnastics friends who go to high school and let me like get in with their friend groups. So on Mondays, that was my only day off from the gym. I would meet my gymnastics friends who were like normal. And I'd have my one pair of jeans because everything else was like gymnastics where I'm like still here I am in athleisure till this day. I put on my one pair of jeans and meet them outside their Brooklyn high school. And, you know, these kids are like 14, 15, already smoking. And I, I'm like coming from a totally different world. I spend eight hours a day in a gymnastics gym and I'm like trying to pretend to be normal and blend in. But I would do this every Monday as like a way to like be like, okay, I'm not missing out. I can sort of absorb whatever world everyone else is in. So I don't feel like a total weirdo in four years. <laughs> yeah. So then that kind of puts you into the world of performing after you graduated. Did you go instantly like into a, a group or like, how did that whole like transition out of high school into like professional performing? So when I graduated, I actually still was competing. I was still like so I was alternate for the Olympic Games when I was 17, and I was going to try to stay for four more years to actually be able to compete. So at like 19, I was still training many, many hours, and I ended up going to Brooklyn College. And so I would train four hours with my coach, just she and I in the mornings, and then I would take my car all sweaty and take like two courses at Brooklyn College and then sometimes drive back and do another like little evening training with the rest of my team. I did that for about two years. I retired at 19, so maybe like two and a half, three years. Um, but yeah, then the the once I retired, I always knew I was going to perform. I like vividly remember as a child seeing the cats on Broadway advertising advertisement on TV and it'd be like cats this is the last year it's gonna be on Broadway and I was I was like 15 I was like wait for me like this is my sh I knew that like having acrobatic a background like that was gonna be my end to Broadway and I was like no like don't leave Broadway like I have to finish competing and grow up you are the perfect rumble <laughs> teaser Mungo Jerry and rumble teaser I did. I, I, I did cats, but I definitely wasn't a rumple teaser. I was a bomb ballerina. Yeah. yeah. Our um, dance captain, Brad, says it's like the worst show in the history of Broadway. <laughs> he would always you know what, though? Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is what I will say. Yeah. I think it's the worst show to watch as just as a theater goer, unless yeah. you just really love the music. But performing it, there is something to be said about getting through that magical ball yeah. that... I, I don't know. Like I, I've never in my life had well, wait, I, I had a, I had a, I've had a crap ton of fun in a lot of my shows, but that, that in particular, there was just something so satisfying about ending the ball mm. and getting through it, especially on a two show day that, yeah, I, I loved performing that show, but mm. watching it, I remember getting injured and I had to sit in the audience and watch mm. and I was just like, Oh, this is shit. Was this in New York when you did it? No, yeah, I toured. You toured. Okay. I toured. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Everyone who's done it, I feel like has this like connection. Like if you, if you know, you know, if you did cats, um, but yeah, cats left and I never got a chance to do it. Um, but then when I retired, I went through the whole athlete identity crisis, even though in the back, I always knew I was going to transition, but the actual like leaving my sport and like 
trying to transition took like a second. It took like three years to try to understand, like, you know, I didn't have my support system of my coach and my gym. Um, and just that when you're a performer, like you don't have like a set schedule, right. When you're an athlete, like every hour is like accounted for. And then it like produces this very strong identity and foundation. And as a performer, you can really feel like you're floating around in space. (laughs) You're like, where, you know, where am I supposed to be? Where do I go? And you just have to really reel it in and create your own schedule. So that took a while to sort of shift into. So I just, yeah, right away started taking, you know, I felt that in me that I needed more structure. So I would just like go to, I started taking dance classes at Broadway Dance Center instead of my trainings at the gym, Um, going to auditions and like scanning casting sites and doing all the things that you do as you're entering the entertainment world. And then my first, I'm trying to like think, what was my real first kind of, I did like all sorts of weird, the New York is filled with so many weird little side gigs. Like I think I did like an Altoids web web commercial or something like all sorts of weird little things, but definitely the big first breakthrough I think was Pippin for me. Um, and I auditioned in 2012. Oh, what am I talking about? I totally skipped something. I went on tour with Panic at the Disco for a for like four months when I was 19. That's what it was. So no, I'm sorry that, that that that's something to not forget. Panic at the Disco is epic, even though like didn't they break up? So, yeah, they like shifted. Yeah, people left the band. Yeah. Now so I like read something. Yeah, someone was leaving or whatever. But yeah, yeah, that's pretty that, epic. That was cool because that was actually. So I retired and before I started having like the full identity crisis, I saw this, I went to a dance class. At- identity crisis <laughs> in like the early twenties. I love it, Olga. It's 19- just so fitting. Yeah. Um, I went to a dance class at Broadway Dance Center, walked out, saw the audition notice for, for them. And they were like looking for dancers with a special ability. I was like, great. And then a few days later, went to that, got cast in that. And that was like a nice, that was a really great transition because it was like a rock and roll tour. Um, <laughs> you know, it was Panic and Disco plus like three, four other bands. So I was- Okay, you, you literally took high school and mm-hmm. your college years of like all the partying and you just com- you just converted it yeah. into four months of touring with a very, very famous rock group. I mean, yeah. well done you. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Well it, was very, it was very, yeah. And I, the dancers on there were like, all like 10, 15 years older than me and just were really great at like mentoring me of like what to expect and what to do. And um, that was a really great experience. Funny that I almost forgot about it. Um, But yeah, that was cool. And then I'd say the next big break was uh, Pippin. Uh, I have to, with Pippin, were you a part of Gypsy's group then? Or like, because it felt like it was like such a tight, like when I joined the company, like it was, it was very separate, right? And like you guys had your own rehearsal segments and and that kind of thing because it was like a sh- your show was going on within the show, like it was a show within the show of the show. Yeah, it was crazy and wild, and it was magical to be a part of it, and I loved every second. But it was, were you a part of Gypsy's group, or were like you hired separately and then came in and as like your special skill? Yeah, I was. I mean, I'm like thinking through each individual. I think Gypsy knew some of the other performers more closely because they went to the ENC, which is the like university for circus in Montreal. 
I don't know if they actually, they may have worked on like a couple of projects together. So Seven Fingers is, is her company. Um, but yeah, I totally like hadn't met her before. I hadn't worked with the company. Um, and so I just came into the audition. Um, and what like, do they do? They just say, okay, Olga, step forward and show us your special skills. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what order it was in. If, if it, there was like a dance call for the specialty people first. Yes, that I think I can't remember the order, unfortunately. There was a dance call where we were like, in the space with the dancers, but like we went separately to do the dance combinations. Um, so there was that dance call. Then there was, we were also, they took us to like the theater uh, at Union Square and we, they would like come forward and just like show us pretty much your skills. So I just put like a three minute routine together with some rhythmic gymnastics skills, some contortion, like handstand skills kind of all tied together. And then during that portion, like the specialty portion, she also had us, She'd call like two people at a time and she she had like guidelines to like a group contact sort of improv. Um, and then she would like keep adding people in. So you'd like get on stage and like meld into this like contact improv acrobatic thing. And I really love improvising. So I think that's where that was my moment to shine. <laughs> This is where you were not having a panic about your identity <laughs> yes. you were yeah. in this moment. Like, no, you just want me to make something up on the spot. Great. I can do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So then you were with the show for you. You worked on the show, but out of town and everything for like, what, then three, four years? Yeah. The first when we first got cast, they took us to Cambridge, Massachusetts. We did like a three week workshop um, sort of put a five minute version of the show together for invest presented it to investors. Then it was like quiet for a second Then with, you know, murmurs of what we will going Broadway, but we need to get the funding and we need, to, you know, that'll kind of determine, but they said, don't book yourself for anything, but nothing's official yet. And then, yeah, a few weeks later, we got an email that we're going to Broadway. So we went back into rehearsals for maybe like two months in New York city. Um, and then, yeah, 2012, uh, was a premiere in New York and I was there. I want to say I re-signed like a couple of times and we were going six month contracts. I was there for maybe a year and a half. So two years total, like with the workshop. Nice. Yeah, no, I, cause I was, a I, well, as you know, but for the listener, um, I was a replacement swing and I remember when Brad Musgrove messaged me and then he was like, you're going to be getting a phone call. I put your name in. You're going to come to the theater. We're going to try costumes on you first. Huh. And I, I, like in my head, I was like, oh my God, th this can't be happening. And I go to the theater and I try costumes on first to make sure that they fit. And then I went upstairs to sing 16 bars. And he said, okay, great. You're going to start tomorrow. And then that night, so it was, I don't know if you, I doubt you remember this because a lot has gone on between um, now and then, but you guys had a like kind of like a a tidy up if you will of stuff going on within the show and sierra wasn't in the show just yet taking over for patina okay and so everyone was like on the stage doing like a work through with um uh is it sarah sarah yeah no, chet chet was there and diane sorry diane oh, yeah. And like, they were both there, like doing a tidy up. I was sitting in the audience, just watching all of you, just like, what's going on? This, this is your is first really rehearsal. Cool. 
very excited to be a part of this, but I have no clue what's going on. You know, I went on that night. <laughs> Did they tell I you? On on that night? I went on that night because, so I worked with Brad after the, after you guys were done with your cleanup and I had a good chat with Chet and he was like, oh yeah, you, um, I just want to like teach you this thing. And he was like very specific about like a couple spots in the orgy situation. And then there was like another thing in act two that he was like very specific and it had to do with the chicken. And he just wanted Nobody to make sure understands what you're saying, except like us and 20 other people. I know, but he was just like, you know, I need you to hear this from the horse's mouth of what this is and that's it. And so like, he kind of went on his merry way. I worked with Brad and I didn't know yet that I was going on. And it wasn't until maybe 30 minutes I had left the stage door and I got a phone call and Brad was like, I need you to come back. You're going on tonight. Now, don't panic. I'm going to be with you the whole time. But little do I know that I, I am going to panic because Brad was kind of with me, kind of not, because he was doing three roles that night in the show. Did we just have a bunch of injured people? What was You that? had injured. It was like injuries. It was called out vacation. There was no way the people that were on vacation were coming back in because they were somewhere tropical. It was a disaster that like I somehow slapped on like lashes that like you could not see out of your peripheral. Like you could not like you could only <laughs> see. So I had those on. And I remember Brad gave me a sign. He was like, walk across the stage. I'll see you on this on the other side. Go. And I was like tipping downstage, <laughs> couldn't see where the F I was going. And I somehow made it out on stage right. <laughs> this is like what Broadway <laughs> nightmares are made of. Broadway and Pippin. Like, yeah. That was just like magic. But I, I love doing the show, but I, I back to your journey as a gymnast, as a, a, is it fair to say a contortionist, someone who really just utilizes their body to full max potential and then to fall pregnant? <laughs> what shift wise, what, what was that mentally for you as well? I'm sorry, a, as an athlete, as someone who has used their body their entire life as their career um, to, I, to then fall pregnant, to have life form inside of you and your body to shift and change. How was that for you? How, and then how was it on the other side for you coming back? Cause I, I mean, it will be in the show notes. You have a full on, like you train, you coach, you inspire, you know, men and women all across the globe now, which is the beautiful thing from the pandemic, right? We now know that we can virtually train, teach, inspire, do it all virtually. And you've made a business out of it. So how is it now on the other side? You have a beautiful child, a beautiful baby girl, Fiona, just a little bit, a little bit younger than Adia. How is it for you now with your body and movement? Yeah. Do you want me to talk about being the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle? Got it. <laughs> yeah. So I think a few things saved me um, for not like panicking about growing a child and gaining weight and all this stuff. One is <laughs> kind of funny and dark. Uh, and that's my coaches just always told me from a young age that I was very heavy and I constantly needed to lose. I was just never thin enough for them. And so I had to get to the other side of all of that, that they had sort of put on me from a young age. And because I traveled that hero's journey from eight to like 
22 and I finally was like, I can't deal with body issues. It's just taking too much of my mental space and I need to just accept myself and it needs hard to offload it though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to offload it. Yeah. The way I see it is like, it's like a cup that's filling up, filling up, filling up. And at a certain point it like consumed so much of my every being for so long that I was like, I literally, I'm just going to combust <laughs> or yeah. I can decide to accept myself in any shape or form and love myself so that I can live at peace with the world and myself. And it was just like, I had made that decision. Maybe it was a little bit later, maybe like 25 or something. Um, because no matter how much I fasted or what I did or how many extra jogs I took when I was like 15, 16, 17, in addition to training the seven hours, I was never thin enough for them. Um, and then when I retired at 19, I instantly gained like 15, 50 pounds and my clothes just wouldn't fit past my knees. And like all of these, like really, like if everything you're doing is for this, like one thing and now suddenly like there's, you just feel you're totally out of control. Like there's nothing that you can even do to go backwards at some point. And it's, it's different for everyone. But for me, it was just, just like, I just want to be normal so desperately. <laughs> So by the time it came to getting pregnant, I was 32 or so. I had gone through multiple psych, you know, I'd gone through these arcs and reviewed and come out the other end. So I was like, okay, yeah. And I know, you know, when you're pregnant, my mental strategy is like, this is a temporary thing. The baby's going to come out. I know I'm going to get back to where, where I am. And I know it's not like that forever. And I've had students who are aerialists, um, who I've coached like through their pregnancy and they're like, I can't handle like being this heavy. It's just like too much. Like you kind of have to have your own own psychological strategy to get through it. Uh, so that's how I got through. I didn't mind being pregnant. I had a lot of like pubic pain because of the flexibility and joint laxity. Um, but again, which helps you learn every time something hard happens, you learn a lot. So I'm right. grateful for that. So there's points during pregnancy I couldn't even walk because my pubic bone, because of the hypermobility, was just shifting around and like with the hormones, and I couldn't like even get out of bed. Um, and so I just learned a lot about like the anatomy and what I what you need to do to keep everything together in your pelvic floor for during pregnancy and then after. And then I used that after I had the baby. And then the biggest struggle with body wise and going from being pregnant to having the baby was for me, not the pregnancy, not even right after, like, sure. You know, you have the water weight, especially if you had a hospitalized labor from like the meds and whatever else, they pump you with water. So you're like very inflated. Um, but it was just time. Like I didn't realize how time consuming child care is. <laughs> like I knew like a child takes a lot of your time, but I really didn't understand that. It's like every minute of every day doesn't belong to you anymore. <laughs> not even the bathroom, not even that <laughs> place on that toilet, Olga. Yeah. That is that's just, yeah. That, yeah. So that was like another journey I had to go on of like, okay, like my day is not mine and I can't just 
I can't, even when she was a little baby, she didn't want me to stop holding her. So I couldn't just like put her on the floor and like stretch. Like I always had to be available physically. <laughs> so that was the hardest part. It's funny. It's not the pregnancy. It's not the labor, but just after just time management is really, really hard. Um, and then finding you though, to move again, was there any sort of like trepidation going back into the, the style of movements that you do of my gosh, my body shifted, changed. I gave life. Now I'm want to go back to just, you know, flipping backwards, grab my ankles, walk up the stairs, easy breezy. Was it like that? Or was this like another journey that you had to go through? Yeah, I could feel um, the same sort of pubic symphysis thing. It's like, one thing I learned when I was pregnant afterwards is that your abs attach at your pubic bone. So all that weakness in the core from being stretched out is then gets pushed into your pubic bone, which is also pushed into your hips. So things are just like stretching, shifting, moving. And you think that might be good for a contortionist, but it's not. You want, if you're bending and stretching, you want to be as stable as can be, like even more than a regular person. You need more stability to be able to control all of that. And your body's going to tell you that it doesn't like it. And so I could feel just the strain like through my abs into my pubic bone. When I tried to do the, like, I remember trying to close a window. They say six weeks after you have a baby, you're okay to exercise. I tried to like close the and just that my core just, it was so stretched out. I like couldn't do, it. I could feel it all the way down into my pubic bone. So it's just, again, that like acceptance of where you are and be like, Hey, this is a journey. And you're going to get out, you know, keep telling yourself you're going to get out the other side at some point. Um, but it took, I think, until after I stopped breastfeeding at 14 months and all the hor hormones sort of got out of my body that like my core started sort of coming together and I could start feeling like I was getting strong. And then I could start bending in. But then my daughter was like 15 months and running around. So there was no time to do that. <laughs> But now that you've gone through this wild world of, uh, you know, giving birth to a child, what do you know now about yourself? Not so much about like just your body, but just you mentally, like, were you like, wow? Or was this kind of like, oh, wait, I, I need to, I need some healing with that as well. Mm. Any particular aspects? There's so much there. <laughs> um. I mean, something that I'm just like currently working on now, and this is very like Instagram trendy, and it is for a reason, because kids bring out your own issues out of you, you know, mm. you're feeling very triggered and frustrated by them. It's not them. It's you. <laughs> and so like working through your own stuff and figuring out like, why do I feel very impatient right now? Why? does this frustrate me so much? Why am I so triggered right now? Like I'm currently sort of like working because we're also in like three-year-old tantrums. Mm -hmm. And the, the treacherous threes. It's not the twos. It really is the threes. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And the tantrums are very triggering for me. I don't know. I just like, I lose patience very quickly. And so just digging deep and trying to understand why, I have like a, when I, that tantrum starts going off, I, I can't, I like really, I'm trying to learn to calm myself down and not give in to the sounds. And I think I get overstimulated or something. It's, it puts me on edge. 
Um, so I'm like, kind of like trying to, I, I think I'm going to actually take a course about it. A mom just told me about, cause I noticed myself, um, I was describing to her what happens. My daughter had like three tantrums in a row one day. Um, and she doesn't have them all the time. She's actually a really easy kid, but every now and then, you know, it's the wrong pants, the wrong bottle. How dare I put the, some two foods on the same plate or whatever. <laughs> um, and it was like a few of them. And I, I just like went numb, like, and just like, because like, there's nothing you can do to convince them in the moment and just found myself like, just totally like shutting down going, she's like, Oh, my mom friends like that's called dissociating. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that was a thing. Maybe it was just working for me. (laughs) So she told me there's there, she's taking a course and there's so many things you can do to like bring yourself back, like all sorts of sort of physical things and mantras. So I'm sort of like starting to try to look into that and, and learn more about it. There's a endless things you can learn about yourself through having a child. You're right. I, who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? But I think it's an absolute glorious thing that you're still doing what you love so much. And now you're able to give the gift and the magic that was instilled in you on to the next generation and teaching them and coaching them. I love your Instagram account. Thank I you. love all of the different students that you have, how you're inspiring them and keeping them motivated. And it's brilliant. You can live anywhere, anywhere in the world and be coached by you. How epic is that? Yeah. I, before the pandemic, people would ask me, Hey, would you ever teach me virtually? And I was like, no, that's so weird. How could I possibly teach extreme flexibility and acrobatics on the internet? That's bizarre. And now that's what I do full time. And yeah, it's really the progress people have made just through this camera. And I, I almost feel like because I can't physically touch them, my other senses have heightened. Like my vision has become sharper when I watch them. And I also feel like I am embodying them even more. That feeling of like when you watch that mirror gene of watching someone feeling like you're doing that has been heightened. And it's, it feels when it's happening, you kind of feel like you're on a high, you feel so in tune and it's really satisfying. Oh, I love that. Well, Olga, thank you so much for your time and all of your inspiring words. I'm just so glad we got to reconnect on here. Appreciate it. And uh, keep going, girl. Keep going, keep going. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Did you like it, Adia? Yes. Oh, the enthusiasm. I love it. Please share your love by giving us a five-star rating, a rockin' review, and please share with any fellow Busy Mumsies. We love hearing from you. So if you want to get in touch, head to the Busy Mumsy show notes for further details and links to the Busy Mumsy website. So long for now. Can you say bye-bye, Adia? Bye-bye, Adia. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.